Welcome to Fireside Nets, brought to you by Empire Sports Media. I am your host, Ben Harris. My brother Nick is in Spain. He's at a wedding this week. So I am joined by recurring guest Peter, host of the Only Nets Fan You Know podcast. Peter, thanks for coming back on the show. Of course, man. It's always fun. I always love to chop it up with you. Let's talk some Nets. Yeah, let's talk about the team that's no longer in the playoffs, despite it being, you know, the conference finals. Um, I do want to get into that towards the end of the show, but this is a Brooklyn Nets podcast for those who, who don't know and, and tuned in to listen to uh, to basketball talk. We got to start with the Brooklyn Nets. And, you know, while it may seem like nothing is really happening within the, the Brooklyn Nets universe, uh, this has been, been some pretty big news dropping as of late. And I, I think... The biggest news was the athletic tweeting out after, you know, much speculation heading right into the offseason after the Nets lost. There was a lot of people wondering, well, what are they going to do? You know, the, the Nets, are they good enough to be a team that can build around Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson and compete for a title? Should they just tear it all down and, and rebuild and start from scratch? What should Sean Marks do? And I think, Peter, that this this news by the athletic tweeted by Sham Sharania that the Brooklyn Nets do not plan on trading Mikhail Bridges, I thought was very significant news. It, it kind of shows you the direction that, that Marks and Joe Sy want to head with this franchise. They want to compete. They're not going to do a full rebuild, which, you know, whether, whether it's the right choice or the wrong choice, it's a choice. Um, what was your reaction when you saw that, that tweet from the athletic? I wasn't surprised. Uh, if you guys listen to the Sean Marks end of season press conference, he said that they were going to go for it. We're not going to rebuild. The Nets are in a very weird situation. Their young players aren't, you know, 21, 22. They aren't on rookie deals. These guys are already making about 20 million. Cam is going to, Cam Johnson is going to make around 20 million this year when everything's said and done. So do you rebuild by trading them or do you just compete? And it didn't look like a rebuild was coming. Not surprised. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about Mikhail Bridges specifically. So what from his play did you see in his half season with the Brooklyn Nets that makes you a believer in the Nets being a championship contender with Mikhail Bridges as your number one option? Are you even a believer? I'm not a believer of that, actually. But I do believe he has a, a nice little spot here with this team. He could really grow. We've seen him put up, you know, 40 points, 30 points. But then we also have games that, you know, he's not, he's not the number one option, right? There's a couple times when we really needed a basket, he, he just can't get it. I don't know if that's because he's still young. The guy's still getting into his prime. He's still young. I think he's going to be a, a number two on a, like a championship team, I think he's going to be an all-star. And maybe I'm wrong. He's got to really work on his three-point shooting, in my opinion. I think if he could get a little bit more solid in that field, you give him a nice point guard, that's a building of a nice team. 
Yeah, I thought there were definitely moments down the stretch where Spencer Dinwiddie was your go-to option in the fourth quarter. And I, I love me some Spencer Dinwiddie. He should not be the go-to option on a perennial championship team uh, ever. No. Ever. So that I, I get that criticism of Mikhail. Um, and it also just – it's so similar to back right before KD and Kyrie – when we did have that D'Angelo Russell, Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert-led team, Jared Allen was on that squad. And D'Lo was the best player on the Nets. He was an all-star. But you knew that they weren't going anywhere with him as the top option. I think this last season's version of Mikhail Bridges is better than that season's D'Angelo Russell. I just don't know how much better. And the Nets you know, got swept that year by who? The 76ers. I'm sorry, they, they won one game, one out of five games. This year, they get swept by the 76ers in the first round. Um, Mikhail did not have a you know a good shooting series. Uh, me and Nick went, went into it a lot during the series, but I don't know. I, I think that I I agree I agree more with you right now that it based on this last season, it doesn't look like he can be the number one for a great team. Can he maybe get there if if he really you know, gets after it this offseason. Look, this is going to be his first offseason where he's training to be the number one guy on the team. I, I don't see the Nets making a crazy move in the offseason to bring in someone who's going to surpass Mikael Bridges to be that guy. Um, and we'll, we'll get into some options in a little bit, but I don't know. I, I, I don't necessarily hate it. I like the idea. I, I think he might have the potential to be better than he was last season. How much better? That's going to be the question. Do you think he could be like a 1B type of guy? You know what I mean? Like he's an all-star, but is he really, you know, not on that KD, Kyrie superstar level? He kind of falls just under it. Almost like Jimmy Butler. I know he's going off and, you know, he's the hot topic now. But in the regular season, we were not putting Jimmy Butler in the same paragraph as these other guys, right? Can Bridges get into that, that form? I think he could. Because let's face it, maybe he doesn't have the offense, but he does have the defense. He does have the hustle and he can put up some numbers on a good night. So I think there are a lot of interesting things with, with what you said. Can he be the one B? Can he be that like right behind the one A, maybe, maybe a close two option. Um, and you mentioned Jimmy Butler. I tweeted as Jimmy Butler's going off in this postseason, he's going off in the series against the Celtics. I tweeted that Mikhail Bridges should take notes on what Jimmy Butler's doing right now. Because this is how you take over a series. This is how you become the alpha player on the court through what Jimmy Butler is doing right now. And, and, and Mikhail Bridges can learn a lot um, from this Miami Heat run that they're currently on. Uh, a name that comes to mind, Peter, when I, when I think of a 1B option, think of a Paul George. Can Mikhail Bridges be as effective as Paul George, right? When, when Paul George plays with Kawhi, he can play his game. He can get his buckets but he's got that cushion because you know Kawhi's a two-time champ. Uh, he's been there. He's done that. Um, he, he, he can hit clutch shots. He's got, you know, I, I think Kawhi, when him and, and PG's admitted this, by the way, this isn't like breaking news. Paul George has said, I'm, I'm his 1B. I'm his second option because Kawhi's Kawhi. Um, can Mikhail Bridges be that? I got another name for you, Peter. Can Mikhail Bridges be Kyrie Irving? Kyrie Irving has not been a one since he was on the Celtics and failed miserably. He has been a two on the Cavs. He, is, he was a two on the Nets, maybe a three when Harden was here. Um, 
But can Mikhail Bridges sort of shoulder that load, right? The Chris Middletons of the world, the Anthony Davises of the world, the guys who are asked to do it right behind the main character. And I think he absolutely can. I, I, I don't think it's a question. If he's scoring 30, 40 as the number one and he's efficient um, and he's, you know, he's making the right plays and his basketball IQ gets a little bit better. Yeah, you can, you can absolutely have him as your 1B. The thing is, the Nets don't really have any options of players that they can bring in that would be that 1A this offseason. I think that's the issue, right? Like we've been saying, you know, bring in this guy, trade with Portland to bring in, you know, Dame, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's, the, that's the main issue. That's the main issue, that he definitely needs a 1A. And how much better is this team with a 1A with Cam Johnson, with Bridges, with this team, the way that it's set up. I think that's, uh, that's the biggest question, right? I think it is. And look, you brought up Dame Lillard. That's kind of the only sort of trade rumors that are being circulated. Dame and Mikhail Bridges have a relationship. They're buddies. Obviously, Damian Lillard wants Portland to build a contender. And I think all realistic NBA fans can see the writing on the wall that Portland has no chance to make Dame happy. They're not going to make a ridiculous amount of moves. They're not all of a sudden going to become the Suns or the Lakers or the Nuggets or any formidable team in the West. Um, so Dame time and BK, it seems like the only logical solution if the Nets are going to try to upgrade this roster and get a 1A. Now, my question to you, Peter, and, and I know you have the, the stats or numbers in front of you, but financially – how bad does that hurt the Nets in the sense that they're going to have to pay Dame a lot of money? And also from a performance standpoint, where does that even put the Nets? If you added Damian Lillard to this team, where do they rank in the East? So start with one and we'll, we'll get to two. All right. We see the you know large amount of the fan base, like I said, really want to get this guy. And you know what? He had a great year last year, but take a look at the numbers just for a little bit, take a look at the contract, think about the timeline. And the more you kind of look at the situation, listen, I've been a big fan of maybe bringing Damon, look at the numbers and maybe your, you know, your opinion might, might change a little bit, right? He's going into his age 33 season. Next year, he's going to make 45.6 million. Age 34 season, 48.7 mil. By the age way, he's 30. He's He's 34. You're saying 34th season. I don't think oh, he's sorry, in the sorry. league. Age, 34. Age, age 35, he's going to make $58.5 million. Age 36, $63.2 million. Bridges making, what, about $20 million right now? That's three yeah. times of what he's got. It's, it's too much for a 36-year-old player, and that would eat up about almost 40% of your cap. It's yeah, I, I guess – and you you said he's 33 right now? Yeah. So I guess you make the trade if you think you're guaranteed to compete for a championship in the next two to three years, right? Because once guys start to hit that 35, 36 number, that's when they usually start to regress. You look at Chris Paul, um, some other guys, LeBron's kind of the only exception to that rule. Um, yeah, listen, I – I would welcome the move. I think that if you're Sean Marks, you got to make a splash. And Dame Lillard is that type of player that he would be a 1A to Bridges' 1B. 
And I also think that that's a top four team in the East. I, I really do. I, I think, you know, an off season for Cam Johnson to get better for Mikhail Bridges to get better. Nick Claxton can, continues to elevate his game. Uh, you, you get a few role players to sort of fill in the gaps. Um, obviously you got to move on from guys like Joe Harris, Seth Curry, bring in more athletic, more versatile players who can both score the basketball and defend. Um, having said that, and, and as much as I'd like to see Dame here, I also I also would rather see Marks build through the draft. I'd like to see us use use our first round picks and maybe get more picks for the future. So um, I'm a little bit torn, uh, but from I, I guess I gave you my thoughts. I think they're a, a top four team. I think maybe they're the fourth best team after. And again, it's so crazy because we don't know what's going to happen in Boston. We don't know what's going to happen in Milwaukee. You know, they're interviewing guys like like Nick Nurse right now. Um, we don't know what's going to happen to Philadelphia. It's it's hard to say. And, and again, Cleveland's coming off a pretty good year. New York, the, the Knicks are coming off a, a not bad season. So uh, without knowing all that, I'd put us at probably three or four. I have a very unpopular opinion on with this, okay? I would say the Knicks are better suited to get Dame right now than us, rather just timeline-wise, right? I don't know if Brunson and Dame would make sense on the court. But if you look at the timeline, they're much, much, I guess, more advanced than us, I would say, at this point of just as a complete team. Brunson is that true number one. But uh, I'm going to give you some pushback on your on your take with the draft. You want to build with the draft, right? What are we going to get? We're going to get someone who's 21, 22. It's going to take two, three years. You take us two, three years down the line, that's the end of the Ken Johnson deal. So you're going to have a, a window of maybe one, two years that you'll have Bridges and Cam Johnson on deals that you could kind of build around them with. That's my only issue with, with, with building with the draft. And what if you don't hit? Marks has been very good with drafting. We know that. But what if he doesn't hit? Then we just sacrifice the year. It's always, you know, the gamble of, of uh, is Phoenix going to be good? Is that draft pick going to be a lottery pick? Or is it going to be pick number 22? Because if it's going to be pick number 22, you know, for two, three years, I would do that in a heartbeat to get Dame. If it's going to be one, you know, one lottery pick, obviously that changes your mind. So, it, it, you know, there's a lot to dissect. By the way, I know that the reports came out that we're not trading Mikhail Bridges, but had Portland put the number three pick up there, and um, let's presume that Charlotte takes Brandon Miller at two. Would you have made that trade to bring in the number three pick, maybe Anthony Simons, and we give up Mikael Bridges? Uh, no, and I'll tell you why. Scoot looks like he's going to be a star, but I can't guarantee it right now. And I feel like Bridges will be at least a, a 1B at the very worst. And I'm very comfortable building around him and Cam Johnson. I hear you, Peter. I, wa I want to talk. We talked a little bit about it earlier in the podcast, but I wanted to really sort of hone in and, and just sort of see where your head's at. So what I've seen in, in the last recent weeks on Nets Twitter, and by the way, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not on Nets Twitter, it's an electric space. I mean, so many hot takes, so many personalities, so many characters. Um, I'm not going to name anybody because the two most handsome people that run these accounts are on this podcast. Uh, but yeah, hashtag Nets world, Nets Twitter is just a wild, wild place. There's been a divide that I've noticed amongst Nets Twitter, amongst our fan base. 
you have a group of people who want to blow it up and basically just do a full rebuild, get as young as possible. And then you have a group of people that want to build around the current core. Basically the plan that Marks and Cy are going in, right? They're, they're going to they're gonna build around the core we currently have. Nick Claxton, those three guys are essentially our future. Um, when you started seeing all these people sort of picking a side and, and you know, having reasons and, and, and rationale behind each choice, which side do you lean and why? Man, I, it's like I, I almost want to play the middle ground because I could see the benefits for both sides. But uh, I, I tend to be leaning towards getting a guy, bringing a guy in, because you never know with the draft. With the Nets cap situation, it's very interesting. I think after next year, we have Harris gone, Dinwiddie gone. The only guys under contract are the young guys, Day and Cam. The twins, Dorian Finney-Smith, and uh, and that might be. I think I'm missing like one other guy. So this whole cap sheet is going to be gone within a year. And there's a very good, you know, it's a very good chance you could rebuild. You can make a very good argument of saying, you know what, we're going to send Claxton to Houston, get one of our picks back, tank this year, and just blow this stuff up. Get Bridges to Portland for the for the three. We'll have about what three first round picks this year if that happens. Get Cam Johnson and Sam uh, sign and trade somewhere. Bring some younger guys in, and that could be a very good argument. I just, I, I just don't. I, I see it, but I just don't think. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Too many people are dependent on this team winning, and I don't think Josiah wants to rebuild fully. Yeah, I think those are all fair points. Um, look, if I had my choice, I would have had Marks gone. I would have just totally. Really? Yeah, I think I. Yeah, I would have just rebuilt everything. Um, at some point, you know, even if it wasn't Marks's fault, the results speak for themselves. And as the general manager of this team, he hasn't gotten past the second round. And, and while the second round was the farthest the Nets have been in a while, I don't know how much job security that should give you in today's NBA where every coach gets fired after they don't make the championship. So for the general manager for four straight seasons to have the talent we had on this roster and not get past the second round for whatever reasons, I don't know. I I personally, um, I would have went just the total blow it up route, new head coach, new GM. Uh, But I I don't, and we'll get to Josiah in a second. I understand that, that he doesn't want to go that route. And look, as a, as a fan, you know, I'm a 30-year-old guy. Um, I'd rather the team be more competitive sooner rather than later. So that sort of human instinct kicks in where none of us want to wait. Like, a basketball season's a long time. I don't want my team to suck for three or four years before we're good. Yeah, Thunder fans feel great about it now, but they've probably had a miserable three to four years ever since, you know, Westbrook left. And you had that surprise year with CP3, but they were – you know, they were a contender, but they weren't really a contender. Um, so I personally, like if I had my way, I would have totally just went the other other direction, be the Detroit Pistons, be the OKC Thunder for a little bit um, and go that route. But because they're going this route and they're going to be competitive in the shorter term versus the long term, I'm not necessarily pissed about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Like you said, 
we've been through a lot with this Nets team. Uh, losing for the next two or three years is not something that uh, I don't think many Nets fans can really stomach right now at this point. I think their Nets fans are still on the kind of spoiled championship route. Like, let's be competitive. Let's do this. Let's get Dame. Let's get this guy. Let's do this. And uh, it's tough, man. It's just, it's, it's really tough with this team. Uh, but I definitely want them. Uh, I'm going to give you one pushback for one second. Okay. But Marks, you would get rid of Marks even though you know that he's great building through the draft? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't think That's Sean Marks. I know, but I don't. I don't know. Based on, uh, at some point, I just want to change, and he's been here for a minute, and I, I, I he's drafted some good players. He's had some duds. Um, I don't know. It, it's not necessarily me saying he's a bad general manager or he's not good at drafting or he can't do this. It's more of, all right, Peter. Well, you're a hard worker. You're smart. You're this. You're that but you keep getting C minuses on your tests. I know you're studying. I know you're putting in the work. The results suck. Sorry, buddy. You can't take this class anymore. You can't be the GM of a team that's supposed to be competitive in the East. Like you you see what teams like Boston and Philly are doing every year, Milwaukee. Um, These three teams are consistently in the Eastern conference finals. I mean, not Philly, but the other two teams or they're, or they're finishing as a top three seed. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just think it's a matter of the resp- the results speak for themselves, and at some point you just got to get a new voice in there. Um, and also just just given, you know, the, the backlash from the KD, Kyrie, Harden stuff, that also sort of was a tough pill for me to swallow, the fact that these talented individuals came to Brooklyn and they left with a sour taste in their mouth, not loving Sean Marks. The only person who I think was okay with uh, him upon departure was, was Kevin Durant. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't hate Sean Marks, and I'm excited to see what he can do given this sort of superstar-free, drama-free period of Brooklyn Nets basketball. Um, the only other thing I want to bring up and, and why it makes sense to go after it in the short term, we're about to have an eighth seed in the NBA Finals in, in the East. Okay, Peter, the East is wide open. Boston, who's the number one team for most of the year, looked like shit. This entire, uh, not the entire postseason, but this series, they got pushed by the Hawks. They got pushed by the Sixers to game seven. Now they're getting shellacked by the Heat. The Sixers just fired their head coach. Their second or third best player, James Harden, probably leaving. They're going to sign in Houston or somewhere else. The Milwaukee Bucks, number one seed, fired their head coach. Boom. First round upset. Right? Who's the fourth team? The New York Knicks. Do we think that the New York Knicks are going to win the championship next year? I fucking hope not. You hear what I'm saying? The, yeah. the, Nets, the Nets opportunity to compete and get better and, and get right in that conversation, it's now, it's here. You don't want to wait for the Bucks to become the Warriors of the East. And all of a sudden, you got a fucking dynasty just going to the finals every year. You don't want to wait for a guy. And by the way, thank God Victor Webanyama is going to the Spurs. Oh, absolutely. Right? right? We dodged a bullet. If he was in Charlotte and all of a sudden Imagine Charlotte with Lamelo. I wouldn't have liked that. So that's another reason why it makes sense to go for it now if you're Sean Marks, uh, just because of the volatility in the Eastern Conference. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it kind of takes us all the way back to if you get a Dame, is this team competing? Like you said, yes, we're a top four team. And I think that's why I think you would do that deal. 
Because if you are Sean Marks and you do feel like it is open, this is what you're going to do. I don't know if it's going to be Dame, though. I like what you said about, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of movement. New CBAs coming in. The new CBA is going to really destroy a couple teams like Phoenix, these high, you know, high payroll teams like Golden State. And you're going to see, uh, I think, the, the whole new uh, big threes are going to be out. It's going to be back to, you know, 1A, 1B. And there's going to be some movement. There's going to be a lot of movement. A lot of teams are going to cut salary. And you're going to see the Nets maybe be able to swoop in and get somebody. I just don't know who it's going to be. You know I'm emotional when I start, like, cursing up a storm and dropping F-bombs here and there. Like, you, you just know I'm into it. Just that's, fucking go. Let's go. That's, that's, that's my fucking tell. Um, all right. Ben Simmons update. All positive news from the Ben Simmons camp. Apparently his mentality has changed. He's focused. He's ready to go. He's going to be healthy come training camp. Um, Peter, pretty simple question here. Do the Nets include him in their future plans, or do they try to send him in his ridiculously expensive contract elsewhere? Oh, he's very much so in uh, in the plans going forward, uh, but not how you might think. He has two years left. That's the guy I missed who uh, was going to be on the team who still has a contract in two years from now. I was missing a player. It was Ben. I don't know how I missed that one. But Ben is going to be on the team next year. They they have to have to see if they could squeeze out any of that all-star talent, see if there's anything left. And you know what? Let's say shit happens. Doesn't work out. Completely fails. The next year, he has a big contract but it's an expiring deal. And that alone, a max deal getting off your books might be really interesting to a, a contending team. You know what I mean? It might, might be very interesting. Maybe you get some draft picks out of that. Maybe you send them at the deadline. I, I'm not sure, but there's a lot of flexibility when it comes with Ben Simmons. But uh, I think the best case scenario would be him playing and getting back to an all-star level with the starting lineup with Bridges and Cam, right? And Clax. That would be a very interesting starting uh, four over there. So I have two thoughts on this. Number one, I do think that Ben's going to get back to a place where if he doesn't look exactly like his old self, he looks like a version of his old self. I think that the athleticism, the, the IQ hasn't really left. I mean, we've seen that this past season. Um, he's going to get his head, his body right. I can see him returning and, and really being a weapon for this Brooklyn Nets team. Now, Peter, here's, here's where my sort of issue comes in. If you have a starting lineup of Ben Simmons, Kale Bridges, Cam Johnson, who would be your fourth other than Nick Claxton? I guess Dorian Finney-Smith or Royce O'Neal? I guess right. we have to put a point guard, right? I, I oh I guess Din so you play Dinwiddie yeah you have to put you need a point guard right right that Ben Simmons wouldn't be your point guard oh mm, that's tough that's the thing that's right tough. so but but either way so let's say Dinwiddie's in the starting lineup and 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 you go Simmons as your four what bothers me about that lineup is you have two guys who can't shoot the three they can't really shoot the mid range. You have two guys whose whole game is predicated on being in the paint. 
That is the only concern I have about a Ben Simmons, Nick Claxton lineup. I know people freaked out in the season because I think defensively they were amazing, those two, when they played together, but offensively not as good. Um, but just in today's NBA where everybody shoots the three and, you know, you look, look at the best player in the NBA right now. It's Nikola Jokic. He's your center. He's popping threes. He's playmaking. That entire Nuggets team, they rarely have anybody on the court who can't shoot threes. It's just the way they play. It's it's pretty phenomenal to watch. Um, but if you're the Nets and you have three, only three out of the five guys on the court can hit the three or even hit a mid-range shot, that scares me a little bit. I think that's a good point that I was not obviously not thinking about. But who do you put in then? Do you put a Dorian Finney-Smith in there, who's very good at popping corner threes? So on you know on offense, you have Ben at point guard, but then also I. I don't know, I kind of feel a little naked having a point guard who can't pop a three in this NBA. Like you said, it's kind of, that kind of scares me. Yeah, but should your main ball handler uh, hit a three? Uh, At the same time, Peter, him as a power forward doesn't make sense either. Like if I, if I'm going to play him, I want him to be the dude that was kind of like he was in Philly, which is he controls the offense Yes, he can't shoot the three, but he's always making the right basketball play. I'm not, on those teams, Ben was the smartest player on those teams from a basketball IQ perspective. Absolutely. Um, so for me, it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna make him a real part of this team and you're gonna give him a starting role, you have to let Ben be Ben, and that means letting him be the point guard. If he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he shouldn't be out there. That's just how I feel. He's not good enough off the ball. He's not doing enough on offense. To, to justify playing heavy minutes as the four or the five. I think you're right. I, 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 I can't picture another way that you could put this puzzle together and it working. But does that mean you're going to have like a pick and roll type offense? Because we kind of have to like protect him, right? Because look how many times we saw Ben play and the defender was like at the free throw line when he was, when Ben was at the top of the key, like, you know, we have to get Ben downhill, right? I think that's the, the consensus. When Ben is going downhill, that's him at his best. We're, we're going to go into a rabbit hole right now, but basically I would move Nick Claxton and I would try to bring in a stretch four, a stretch five, and he'd be the guy I'd run pick and rolls with. Um, I don't know who that player is. <laughs> I'm thinking like Kevin Love in his prime would be perfect for the Brooklyn Nets with just like how he was able – like Vucevic. I think Vucevic would be a good center just because Vucevic can stretch the floor and hit the three. Um, but whoever you bring in, like – and Embiid. And when Embiid played with Ben, he can he can hit the mid-range, he can hit the three. So whoever you bring in, they have to have a little bit of range. Um, that's the rabbit hole I'm going down. Look, I think I made you a Ben Lever, right? That's a, that's a Ben Simmons believer. Uh, see what you did there. He was he was magical on the Sixers up until that playoff blunder. And sure, he had some moments in the playoffs where he didn't come through. But as the third or fourth option, I'm fine with that. That that loss to the Raptors that season that wasn't on Ben. That was because Kawhi Leonard hit a ridiculous, ridiculous shot. Um. So yeah, I I just I'm excited. If you're gonna bring back a guy like Ben, you really just got to give him the keys to the offense and say, "Hey, you saw what Mikhail, you saw what Cam could do last season. Make them better. Make yourself better. Let Let's be a contender again." Um, Peter, I want to talk about our owner, Joe Sy. Is he good 
or is he bad at his job? Now, you put out a tweet stating the following. I think Josai may be taking too much heat from Nets fans lately. Under his ownership, playoffs every year, team payroll rank, ninth, post-deadline, 2-2-18. Nets have paid over $200 million in luxury taxes, brought back the Dr. J jersey. So you listed four accomplishments in his tenure. Now, if I were arguing the opposite way, there are a few things that I can bring up that I don't think Sai handled incredibly. But you are, you know, the, the, the PR support person for Joe Sai right now. I'm a fan. Why are you telling me that he's a good owner? He's always investing in the team. He's not afraid to spend. We, we, you know, when there was a chance to bring superstars in, we did it. No questions asked. Always paying in the luxury tax. I think, like I said, that was just the $200 million. That was just the last two years. Not sure about I – I didn't even count, like, the other years. If a team is uh, – how, how could you be upset at a guy throwing money at this team, throwing at money at this roster? We come from a franchise that was in New Jersey that made the finals two years in a row, had another deep playoff run, and then let Kenyon Martin leave for nothing. Didn't even offer him a contract. I come from that and I'm saying, man, like, I think we're being a little harsh on this guy. You know what I mean? And he, he gives, you know, you could talk about the Liberty stuff. I don't want to get too deep into that, but you know, he gives back to the city. He does a lot of philanthropy, putting all that stuff together. You know, you could do a lot worse. There's a lot, uh, there's a lot of owners around here that maybe wouldn't do what he did that maybe wouldn't invest in the team as much as he had. That's where I would start with that. I think that's fair. Um, I think everything you, you bring up is a great point. Personally, I had no problem with Josai. Uh, <laughs> this was the only thing that bothered me, and it was the article that came out recently. Uh, like I think it was uh, about May 11th, so about 12, 13 days ago. Brooklyn Nets owner Josai says basketball players are very difficult to manage was the headline of this article. Dude. You bought an NBA team. Yeah, that was like, wasn't that a joke? Was it a joke? I think it was. I think that's Daily said it was a joke. But still, you got to be a little more. You know, you got to read the room. You got to read the room. You knew oh, that there was he a was chance that could blow up. He was talking about if you're in Hollywood, it's very, very difficult to manage people. And the joke was, believe me, I manage a basketball team, and the players are very difficult to manage. Either way, look. All the Kyrie Irving stuff aside, which obviously I blame Kyrie for, 99.999% of everything wrong that happened with him specifically during his tenure in Brooklyn, and the James Harden stuff, which sucked too. If you're Josiah, to have a quote like that out, I just, bro, you, you own a basketball team. You have a bunch of people that you play a lot of money to to put a product out on the court, on your court, you should not make backhanded jokes at the idea that they're difficult to manage, right? I just just kind of a lack of awareness there. Do I think he's a bad owner? No. Do I think he, he puts his foot in his mouth sometimes and, and says the wrong thing? Occasionally, I, I just I, that, that quote really bothered me, Peter. Yeah, you know, he's not perfect. We had the uh, winning is my religion quote. That, uh, you know, that, that did not look too well, uh, you know, looking back at it. In 2020, hindsight, uh, he's not perfect, but like I said, you could do a lot worse. 
Another remember when the Nets got rid of their G League team? We used to have the Springfield Armor, used to be the G League team for the Nets. Then yes. they got rid of the team, and our prospects had to go to other teams' G League's team. Like, you know, I think about that and I compare it to Josiah. I'm like, man, it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to take shots at the guy. Like I said, he's not perfect, definitely not perfect. He didn't play stuff 100% correctly the last two years, right? We know that. But I can make an argument that uh, you could do a lot worse. I like that he's not perfect line, right? Like you could have you could have pulled it. Hey, Spencer, when's the last time you said something by mistake, huh? Are you always <laughs> saying the right thing? Like that was, that was a very good route to take. I enjoyed that. Um, all right, a few quick points here. I do want to get to, uh, you know, the remaining NBA playoffs. Um, I saw a, a tweet that someone said uh, D'Angelo Russell and the Nets would be a perfect reunion. What do you think of, of an idea like D'Lo coming back to BK? I think I know who posted that, and I talk to them regularly, so I'm going to feel bad that I'm going to trash them completely. That is such a horrible fucking idea. Well, well why would you want to bring that in? He's going to get a very big contract. He's not really young anymore. He doesn't really mesh with the team that, that, that we have right now. Uh, the only way that he would fit is if you get rid of Ben and Spencer and Harris, and you have to take him on with, with that. Uh, I think he's probably going to get close to a max deal. I feel like someone might throw that at him. I could be wrong. Listen, if he can make like $15 million and we could fit him in there, I would. that sounds nice. But uh, I just don't see that happening. He's going to be too expensive, and it's just not a good basketball fit. You know what my problem is with him? And he's having a terrible series, by the way. Like, he looks Ice really cold. bad. He can't defend. It's not even that. He, he just looks lo- – like, every a, lo- a lot of players on the Lakers are bringing that playoff intensity, right? Austin Reeves, Schroeder to a certain extent. He hasn't shot the ball well, but he's brought that playoff intensity. He's been a dog on defense. D'Lo has not looked like he's belonged in this series, and it's been kind of sad. But I think about the places it did not work out with him, right? It did not work out in Golden State, where they breed winners. It didn't work out in Minnesota, a place that's starting to sort of develop, um, you, you know, a new reputation with Anthony Edwards and Anthony Towns, and, and their nose is a hard-nosed team, right? They, they, uh, you know, they they got in the the playoffs with winning some playing games. Um, so I look at D'Lo and I just I don't know where else he goes. Like I don't know what teams want to trade for him, pay him, whatever the case may be. Um, I don't know. I, I just and again I would not want him on near the Brooklyn Nets. It just doesn't make sense. Everything you said was 100 percent accurate. Uh, yeah. So no D'Lo here. And to who who tweeted that maybe would be a, the right move for D'Angelo Russell, not the right move for the Brooklyn Nets. Okay. Agreed. Peter. Thought this was some pretty funny news. The Toronto Raptors, after firing head coach Nick Nurse, did they fire him or did they mutually part ways? I don't really remember how that worked out. I'm not sure either. But I, I think cares? we both assume that it wasn't pretty, right? Well, it, it can't be pretty because now they're interviewing former Nets head coach, or I guess they're meeting with him. I don't know if it's a formal interview. Steve Nash, your reaction? They should do it. That would be great. For us, uh, is it this like uh, he's Canadian, so we're going to bring him in? He's like one of the maybe – I guess he is the best Canadian basketball player of all time, right? Am I missing somebody? No, it's probably him. Right? Um, so yeah. You got to bring him in. 
You got to bring him in. I think he wasn't the coach for Canada at some point. I might be wrong with that. But uh, you have to bring him in. I, I think they're way too smart to, uh, to hire Steve Nash. See, I don't because they, they let Nick Nurse go, and Nick Nurse is a hell of a coach. Um, I, I you know, listen to his press conferences. I listen to the way he talks to players when he's mic'd up. There's not – I mean, there's a few other guys like Spolstra, uh, Steve Kerr, that I just really admire. When, when I watch, you know, the games, I'm looking forward to hearing them talk after the games. Nick Nurse is one of those guys. He, he just – he knows how to motivate his team. Yeah, Toronto had a down season this year. Um, <clears throat> I don't think that the team that won the championship was a super talented team. I think that Kawhi played out of his mind. I think that Pascal Siakam kind of showed people who he was that season. And you had Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet as your third and fourth guys. I don't think that's a championship team. They won a championship due to playing out of their minds, a few injuries for the Golden State Warriors, Kawhi hitting one of the most insane shots I've ever seen against Philly, and good coaching. And as Nets fans, we know good coaching helps. Bad coaching hurts. Look at the Boston Celtics right now. You want to talk about poor coaching. So I think it's absolutely hilarious that they're meeting with Steve Nash, like you said. Hire him. It would be great for us. Uh, this is like when one of your friends dates someone who you find really unattractive and everyone finds them unattractive and their personality is attractive and there, there's just nothing about them that's likable, but your friend really, really likes them. That's If they hire Steve Nash, like that's what I think it would be. It would be like, hey, we know you failed miserably in Brooklyn. We know that your players didn't really respect you in Brooklyn, and but we want you here. We want you in Toronto. You're Canadian. This is Canada. Come to Toronto. Um, who knows? Maybe you'll get along with Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. Uh, yeah, I, I don't understand the move. I, I don't think that Steve Nash – and, you know, that would be really sad, right, if, if he gets another coaching gig, but other guys in the league, dare I say it, my, minority head coaches in the league do not. Assistant head coaches, guys like Steven Silas, who really didn't get a fair, fair share in, in, no, in Houston. Um, I think that would be bullshit. And uh, it kind of like it, it absolutely proves Stephen Jackson's point. Well, not really, because they're firing Nick Nurse, who's also a white guy, to hire Steve Nash, another white guy. Um, but yeah, that that bothers me. And I, I don't take away anything from Nash as a player, um, but he wasn't a good head coach. And if he were to be a head coach again, I think like go through, you know, make these guys be assistants again. That, that's the thing that bothers me. Um, and that, by the way, that that's my take on the whole JJ Redick like being a head coach thing. They can be an assistant. Reddick's a genius. Yeah. Really, really solid professional career, but don't give him the head coaching job right out the gate. That's just, that wouldn't be right. All right. So we have two series left. I know we're going a little bit long here, but I do want to get to this. Denver up 3 0 against the Lakers. Miami up 3 0 against Boston. Let's start Denver, Denver, LA. Um, I'll just talk narratives. You don't really have to break this series down too much. Nikola Jokic is, is cementing himself as the best player in the league now when the pressure is on the line. He has been insane in this series. Jamal Murray is reminding people, hey, guys, when I'm right, I'm a top 10 scoring point guard in this league. He's been just absolutely ridiculous in this series. Uh, guys like my, my Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon are stepping up. But, Peter, we got to bring up the play of two former Nets. We got to bring up Bruce Brown and Jeff Green. Both have had some big moments for the – Bruce Brown a lot more than Jeff Green, by the way. I would say it's probably from a contribution standpoint, 85% Brown, 15% Jeff Green. 
Um, but those two guys, two former Nets, really well liked within the Nets fan base. Are you happy that they're kind of doing what they were doing for the Nets, but but on a championship squad, or does it make you pissed off that those two guys could have got a ring with the Nets, probably going to get a ring with the Nuggets? Uh, I'm very pissed off. I defended Sean Marks earlier. I'm going to shit on him right now. Big mistake. Big mistake. Bruce Brown, we knew that he was a good player. Yes, a little undersized. But just as he's starting to hit the three ball, we decide, you know what? Let's not even offer this guy a contract after being a major glue guy for the team. I saw a tweet from uh, from someone that said the Denver Nuggets, the difference from the Denver Nuggets possibly making the finals and, uh, you know, in an early playoff exit is a couple Bruce Brown big moments. I don't know how you know true that may be, but uh, there's definitely something to that. Yeah, he's uh, he's just been huge. Every time they've needed a, a big play, you know, if Jokic or Murray, if those guys are tired, he's just come up huge. And and he does things. You know, Michael Porter Jr. is a great player. Bruce Brown does things on offense as far as creating, getting to the rim, just hitting timely shots. He just does things that Porter Jr. can't really do. Um, and the only other guy I want to shout out on Denver is, is Contavious Caldwell Pope, former champion with the Lakers. He's been shooting the lights out of the ball. On the Lakers side, LeBron, Anthony Davis, down 3-0. My thing is this, Peter. It's hard to expect teams that were pretty much put together in the middle of the year to go and win a championship. I wasn't surprised when Phoenix lost to Denver because they didn't have KD for half the year. Sort of made sense that we got swept, right? Because we were a makeshift Sean Marks put together team in the middle of the season. We had four guys that weren't starting at the beginning of the year that started in the playoffs for us. And then Claxton was the fifth. Um, So I look at the Lakers and I think, you know, yes, LeBron's great. He's 37. Anthony Davis is great. Austin Reeves is this amazing sort of story for, for guys like myself who haven't watched the Lakers the last few seasons he has been really good. He's going to get a lot of money this offseason. Um, but I almost think it, it was unrealistic to think that the Lakers, despite LeBron's greatness, could compete for a championship when they really changed up their roster midseason. I mean, you're talking about a team that had Russell Westbrook moved him for guys like D'Angelo Russell, guys like Vanderbilt. And yeah, that's just sort of also they started the year so terribly. I think they started like two and ten or something. Um so just your reaction to LeBron pretty much about to go down in the Western Conference Finals. Denver can end that series tonight. I think it's amazing. You look at this team. Uh, there was talks about LeBron possibly maybe wanting out of L.A. Didn't look like they were going to make the playoffs. A.D. was hurt. They don't have a lot of draft picks. Remember they were trying to get Kyrie from us, and the best thing they could offer is Westbrook and a first-rounder. Then all of a sudden – they just rebuilt the team out of nowhere. Like Rob Palenka, I, I, you know, I hate to give him credit because I hate the Lakers, but you got to give the guy some fucking credit. Like this team looked like a lottery bound, and then all of a sudden they're in the Western Conference Finals. You know, if you're a Lakers fan, you know, tough shit. You probably shouldn't even be you know, this far into the playoffs. But, like, it, it, it is amazing. Like I, I, I was pretty shocked. I'm not going to lie. The guy that they acquired that I think a lot of Nets fans wanted to get, he's been fucking really clutch for them throughout this postseason, is Rui Hachimura. 
It's been a really nice weapon off the bench, can score the basketball. Um, he is a guy, you know, he is essentially the person I would want in the Nets, right? He can hit the three. He can play the four, play the five. He can play big. He can handle a little bit. Um, I love Hachimura's game. This this might be some some amazing praise. He's to me, he's almost a mini Giannis. The way wow, he plays, see, see, that's a lot. It is. It is. Lot, it is. Man. The way that he plays, like he can play bully ball if you need him to. He's got a really nice touch around the rim. Um, I like Rui Hachimura's game a lot. I thought that was a huge get for LA. Uh, but lo and behold, the Nuggets have been together for the past several years. Yeah, they've made some minor adjustments and tweaks to this roster, but the core of Murray. Jokic, Michael Porter Jr. is basically the same. You add a really good player in Aaron Gordon. You get great role guys like KCP, Bruce Brown, Jeff Green. Um, you know, Reggie Jackson's buried on their bench. All of a sudden, uh, you, ha you have a cohesive unit with great leadership and great coaching in Mike Malone that, yeah, a put together at the deadline team in the Lakers. You're just, you're just not going to compete with that. Um, and then we go to the Eastern Conference. We look at the Heat and Celtics series. Holy shit, who could have called this? Miami up 3-0. Jimmy Butler has just added to his incredible playoff legacy by mentally and physically dominating the Celtics. And now Boston, Peter, a team that I think 99% of fans thought was going to be in, in the finals once the Bucs went down, they're about to get swept by an eighth seed I'm just at a loss for words. How, how do you explain what's going on between the Celtics and the Heat right now? You can't. Jimmy Butler is a god. Let's just, you know, say it that way. He is not a regular season player. This man is a total, total god in the playoffs. He has that dog in him. And, you know, the guy's, the guy's a leader. The guy's just – he's just willing this team. And it's, like, amazing because you look at his game – you know, he's not the best three-point shooter, right? You look at this team, and, and he's just putting up these numbers. Remember, they made it to the finals in the bubble, and now they're like, it's like they're doing it again. It's like the Heat just win. The Heat just constantly win. One thing I will say with the Western Conference team and the Eastern Conference teams, both teams up 3-0, both had a lot of continuity. Eh, they, they, you know, built, built themselves up with that core, like you said. Sure. They've had the same roster for the most part for what, I don't know, like three years. They've built this core from whatever ground up you could say. And uh, it shows, it shows in the playoffs. I know Nets fans like to make fun of our, our culture, right? Cause that's a word that gets thrown around there. And, and realistically our culture has changed significantly three times in the past four years. Right. Cause you had the, the, the D -Lo Spencer Dinwiddie culture, which was different than the KD Kyrie, big three, James Harden culture, which has now changed again to the Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jacques Vaughn-led culture. Um, in Miami, culture means something. Pat Riley is the, the president of basketball operations for the Miami Heat. He makes every basketball-related decision. He knows how to win. Eric Spolstra, one of the best coaches in the NBA, he knows when you get what you give him, he's going to make the most of it. So the thing I'm most impressed, it's not even Jimmy Butler, because we sort of expect Jimmy Butler to rise to the occasion in the playoffs. It's the fact that all Miami role players have showed up, especially in the series against the Celtics. Gabe Vincent, um, Tyler, well, not Tyler, Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, Caleb Martin. These four guys have been sensational in this series. 
Kyle Lowry has been clutch for them when they need him to. And by the way, Bam Adebayo, I look at Bam and I think the opposite of Joel Embiid. Embiid is dominant in the regular season, falls apart in the postseason, becomes less aggressive, basically becomes soft. Bam Adebayo, postseason starts happening. He basically becomes Jimmy Butler, but as a big man and just goes to a place where he was manhandling the Celtics last night. I don't know if you saw the highlights. Two alley-oops, one from Duncan Robinson, one from Max Struess. Uh, a spin move dunk on Jalen Brown that sent Jalen to the floor. Some huge offensive rebounds. Bam out of bio becomes a monster in the postseason. So I, I give Miami so much credit for the culture they've built there, for, for just getting everything they can out of the guys in their roster, bringing in a Kevin Love and you know having him bought out by the Cavs, bring him in for nothing, and all of a sudden he's making shots and he's helping out. Um, yeah, just, just really shocked at how – cohesive and and well the heat have played and then on the flip side you look at the celtics this was their year right with Gian, Giannis out and you know they, they win that series against the sixers you go seven games tatum plays his ass off in game seven um you have the pieces right it's the same team as last year plus you have malcolm brogdon so you should for all intents and purposes be better and joe Missoula just does not look like a good head coach at this moment There are people in Boston calling for his head. The chemistry between Tatum and Jalen Brown has never looked off. Throw Marcus Smart in the mix. The chemistry between those three guys just looks terrible. And uh, the Celtics look like a fucking garbage fire right now. So let's, let's go to Boston. I mean, what do you see with the Celtics team? Is it really the fact that Ime Adoka was a good coach versus Joe Mazzula being a bad coach? Or is there something more here? Uh. I just think they ran into a hot team, you know, I, you know, facing the Heat at the wrong time, right? We've seen the Heat just be a buzzsaw in this playoffs. Uh, I, I do think there is a big difference in the coaching, right? I think everyone can say that. Uh, it's it's tough. It's tough. They had a situation that they thought they were going to have Ime coming in, and then all of a sudden they decide to hire someone from inside, Mazzola. And uh, maybe that wasn't the right decision, but they had to make a decision pretty much on the fly. You have a team that just made it to the finals last year. You don't have a lot of time to pick a coach. So what do you do? You pick someone from inside your culture. Back to the word of culture, right? And, uh, you know, maybe that wasn't the right choice. Maybe that wasn't the right choice. But what do you do in that situation? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, we, we essentially went the same route, right? Because we didn't hire someone. Pretty much, Jacques pretty Vaughan. much. We, we brought up Jacques Vaughn, gave him a promotion. Um, I just, the after the game three loss, and game three was a blowout win by Miami, in the press conference, I've never heard a coach admit that they lost the locker room. And that's essentially what Joe Mazzula said in, in, in the post-game press conference is they asked him, they're like, hey, like, did you lose the locker room? He's like, yeah, I think that's what happened. And they're like, how did that happen? He's kind of like, I don't know. Um, insane thing for a coach to admit the Celtics look broken right now. We are looking at a, a Denver Miami championship, which, which will be a little bit fun because I don't know if you remember this, Peter, there's some bad blood between those two teams. Uh, back when was it, was it, I guess it was Marcus Morris, right? Or who was on the Miami heat? Marquise yeah, our, Mor- Mar- uh, our, our former Morris. So our Morris was Marquise. So Marquise yeah. Morris was on the heat. Jokic pretty much body slammed him. When, when Morris wasn't looking, fucked him up a little bit. 
Um, there was a lot of jawing between Marcus Morris, Marquis' brother on Twitter, and uh, the Jokic brothers, which is kind of some brother-brother rivalry right there. But, uh, yeah, I, I would love to see that. You, you have the best team in the NBA and the best player in the NBA in Nikola Jokic going up against probably the, big, the biggest competitor in the NBA is Jimmy Butler. Some might say he's the biggest gamer in the NBA right now, given the, the pressure and the way that, that he's come through time and time again. So very excited for that matchup. Uh, all right. We talked about a lot on this episode. We covered long everything episode. related. Long, but that's okay, Peter, because sometimes I have a lot to say. You know, I, I, I got to get it out. I, I can't hold it in. Um, and I appreciate you coming on and joining me today. Uh, not sure if Nick will be back next week. You know, Peter's always welcome to, to, to be our guest host. We appreciate him. We love him on Fireside Nets. And, uh, yeah, any any final words for the audience out there? We got a month to go to the draft, right? I think it's actually a – yeah, exactly one month from today we got the draft. We got the free agency coming up right after that. Going to be a, a lot of changes going on with this franchise. Big changes in the NBA. Hold on. Hold That's on. Final words. Hold on. Two wise words from Peter. You can follow him at Nets fans. You know, he is the host of the only Nets fan, you know, podcast. This is Fireside Nets brought to you by Empire Sports Media. I'm your host, Ben Harris. Thanks for listening. And as always, catch you on the fireside.